Hey, hey, welcome to the Phil Drysdale Show. That's right, we're no longer the Grace Course. It's going to be the Phil Drysdale Show from now on. Um, the reason for that is just really uh, the Grace Course podcast was not the best branding. It worked because I obviously have the website, the Grace Course, um, and that was a nice overlap. But a lot more people know me, Phil Drysdale, than they do the Grace Course. Um, and also it gives a lot of freedom for the, the show to be a lot, about a lot more um, uh, different types of content and, and, and topics and, um, with bringing on different people with different ideas and different concepts. Um, I wanted to have that be completely free and open to be what it was, uh, whatever it would be. And so that's the reason it's now the Phil Drysdale show. You'll see that in your podcast. It's updated, new graphics, new, whatever. You can still watch the episodes on the gracecourse.com. Um, and you can check out the videos. You can watch them on YouTube as well. They'll be up there about a week or two weeks after they go up on the Grace course. Um, so yeah, but for now, let's dive into this week's podcast. And this week we've got Matthew DiStefiano. Awesome. So welcome. Did you go Matthew or Matt? How do you Matthew? 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 Either one. Either one. Yeah. You're more formal though. You prefer the Matthew? Uh, well, I do the formal on the book titles that, but okay, in, is that in my, is, in, yeah, in my day to day, it's Matt. <laughs> is, is that a bookseller? Should I be, should I be Philip Drysdale instead of Phil Drysdale? I'm looking no, forward I to books. I don't know. Don't ask me, man. <laughs> I also wonder about that. You know that you always add an initial, right? It feels like if you've got a middle name, you're going to sell more books. Like that just feels like a, a way to go. Um, yeah. I just, so I yeah. just went with the J. I don't know why. <laughs> awesome. Well, Matthew, I'm excited to have you. Um, I don't know nearly enough about you. I, I know we've got lots of mutual friends from checking out your website and stuff. I, I know that I love where you're at, your stuff. It really fascinates me. I can tell you're pulling from similar streams. Um, but why don't you kind of just kind of maybe give me a, a quick overview, but also um, the audience just kind of like, who are you? What are you about? What, what do you do uh, day in, day out? Yeah. Um, well, my, my quote unquote real job is I do social work. Um, I worked in, I worked in group homes, foster group homes for like six, seven, eight years. I can't remember how long. Um, and now I'm working with folks with developmental disabilities. Um, I'm running a program for independent living. Um, <clears throat> but I, uh, in addition to that, I guess it's like my side hustle or half hustle is writing. I've written now six books. Uh, I do two podcasts. I've written for Pathios and Sojourners and, uh, the Raven Foundation. And now I just write on my own blog. Um, what else do I do? I'm a, I have a music background. I play piano and guitar and drums. I don't sing. Um, I've written hip hop. So I'm, I was in the middle of, nice. before this quarantine, I was, uh, I was recording a hip hop album. So I like, to, I, like to, I like to be diverse. Dude, that's a lot of stuff. <laughs> it's a lot of stuff. I, I, I feel like, man. I feel like yeah. I'm like recording one podcast in the week and I'm like, God, I've got a busy week this week. I got to record a podcast, maybe edit <laughs> it up, get it online. Yeah. That's going to take time. Maybe I'll get some time to read a bit and study. You're like, you've written a book, you know, while working as a social worker. While, like, right. I'm amazed. Yeah. I'm amazed. How do you find time for it? Is that something that you, do you manage like juggling lots of things well, or is that something you had to kind of develop? Yeah. Well, I don't, I don't do cocaine or anything. So I've had to okay. do it naturally. Um, <laughs> What's the big thing no, in California I, is like the microdosing now and all the, all the cool kids uh, on, um, uh, in Silicon I, Valley, you know, is that not made yeah, up that, Chico? <laughs> that seems, no, it hasn't. No, that seems to be a thing now. Um, 
I don't, I've always been like, I, I, I get really antsy and fidgety if I'm not doing something. And I do like my downtime, but at the same time, like I like to be doing something. I like to get, I like to, I get kind of bored easily. So I like to bounce around and not that I don't stick with things. I've been doing one podcast for like three years. Um, right. And I don't plan on leaving or anything like that. But at the same time, like I like to fill my time with other stuff and have definitely a diverse range of interests. And sure. Um, I'm probably, you know, it probably, it's a blessing and a curse. Like I could be a master at something, but I just am not. So I'm like decent at guitar. I'm okay at piano. I'm decent drummer. I'm a, I'm a good writer, but I'm not like the best writer in the world, you know? So it's one well, of those I mean, things. Only yeah. six books. I mean, it <laughs> doesn't mean, it doesn't mean they're good. <laughs> I, I saw one of them. I, cause I was flicking through your Facebook. I saw one of them at hit like number one. Is that right? Well, yeah, On I've got Amazon a new, somewhere. Yeah. I've, uh, pretty happy that, um, uh, my friend, Mike Machuga, uh, who I do the bonfire sessions podcast with our booklet is number one on Amazon or number one new, new release in, on Amazon in theology. Nice. Um, okay. Yeah. And overall I've had a cut in my categories, a couple books that have hit number one for, I think awesome. the most long, it was like three weeks, you know, CS Lewis was like competing in one of the categories. I think his book that I was competing with came out like 80 years ago and he's still yeah, like, I mean, who listens to just that give guy? me, give me, give me two <laughs> weeks, Lewis. Come on now. Yeah. Wait till your dad's, you know, and you, you know, you, you've got a legacy, you know, those books will be still like, you know, people will be seeking out those first editions. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> that's how it works, right? You got to die first for people to like, <laughs> that's, that's C.S. Goes, Lewis, right? right? People would not like if, if C.S. Lewis was running around today saying the stuff he says in half of his like, you know, books, we'd have like lynched the guy as, as a, as, as a general Christian community as a whole, you know I mean? He's like throwing out all sorts yeah. of ideas. Yeah. It's always interesting that both Lewis and Tolkien, I think w would like they're lo they're beloved in Christian circles, right? The, the, mm -hmm. the lion, the witch and the wardrobe, the, the trilogy, the Lord of the Rings trilogy. But if you, if you listen to them and listen to their like mentor, George MacDonald, yeah. you would like absolutely like, no, we can't have these guys. Um, they would definitely be, uh, well, probably theoretically burned to the stake. We don't do that any longer, but <laughs> they wouldn't be accepted in most evangelical circles. No, no. You, you'd be getting um, tweets from uh, John Piper, you know, farewell, mm -hmm. uh, CS. Uh, yeah. It doesn't <laughs> have, he, he'd be a bit more witty and pithy with it probably, but <laughs> yeah. Doesn't have the same, uh, same roll off the tongue as farewell, Rob Bell. Oh man. Wouldn't you love, loved CS Lewis on uh, Twitter though, man, that would have been legit. <laughs> uh, yeah, right. Totally. So, Talking of heretics, um, your, your podcast is called The Holy Heretics, right? Have I got that right? No, you've got the wrong podcast, my friend. Wait, what's we your are podcast? The, we are the, we are, we're, we're all about the alliteration. So we've got, uh, we've got the Heretic Happy Hour. We've got Heretic Happy Hour. That's right. Okay, sorry. Someone else was yeah. talking to me about um, this, but your, your podcast. Sorry, so I, I asked yesterday, yesterday, two days ago, I don't know. And I said, but if I could interview any one of my podcasts, who would you interview? And every person that is a three of you that run your podcast, right? Yeah, there's three of us. Every yeah. one of you people were like, ask this person to come on. And multiple people asked for, uh, for you to come on. So I I'm fascinated. Um, what, what makes you guys heretics? What, 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 does that, what does that look like for you? Oh, I'm glad you asked because that's the first question we ask all of our guests. Um, okay. We define, well, we're, we, we, we use it tongue in cheek, right? So yeah. it's like the 2004 Boston Red Sox. They called themselves the idiots because they had beards and their jerseys weren't put together like the Yankees were. So they call them, so they embrace that moniker. Uh, we've kind of embraced that. We've been called, um, Keith, Jamal, myself, and our producer, Ralph, 
Uh, he's more behind the scenes, so he hasn't been called it as many as much as we have been. But we've been called heretics, wolf in sheep's clothing, yada 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 yada, false teacher, false prophet, blah blah blah. So many times that it's kind of been like, well, why don't we just why don't we use that and and play it up a little bit? Mm-hmm. Um, because heretic, from what I understood back in the day, like back in biblical times, like it just meant someone who is divisive. So it wasn't necessarily so much about doctrine. Um, now heretic or heresy is kind of like you believe something that is counter to the common narrative or the, you know, um, the masses, what they believe. Mm. Um, our show is modeled around, uh, peaceful disagreement, making fun of each other a little bit, poking fun at things while also having like solid content and not taking ourselves too seriously. So that's kind of what we do to, to me heretic sure. is just everyone is a heretic right everyone's everyone's someone else's heretic you could think i'm a heretic someone thinks you a heretic it's like hell right you know you're going to hell in this faith and this tradition they're going to hell you know all this sort of thing so it's just become it's just become basically a pejorative that means you disagree or sure i disagree with your theology so we kind of poke fun at it and then we've had everyone from like orthodox folks like jersak um, to Bart Ehrman, kind of an agnostic mm-hmm. atheist scholar, um, to everyone in between, really. So we try to model that. It's not what you believe necessarily. It's how we treat each other. Mm, that's um, really good. Yeah, I, I, that's, I think, the big, like, the big thing on the draw to the show is that, especially like Jamal and Keith, they probably disagree the most on things. Okay. But we're just, we're fam at the end of the day, you know? Yep. Is, is that, would you say that's a personality thing in you that you, you naturally seek out um, the controversial view, the, the divisive view, the, 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 the heretical position here or there and go, oh, that attra- that there's something attractive about a different way of thinking? Or is that something that you have to kind of force yourself reluctantly to go into? Does that, does that make sense? Because I know that for a lot of people, yeah. they don't like exposing themselves to different ideas. Uh, you know, that, that isn't actually the norm for the vast majority of humans. You know, we're wired for safety and not to um, seek sure. out that which makes us uncertain. Yeah, there's probably someone who like dorks out on Enneagram or uh, Myers-Briggs or something that would mm-hmm. say it's a personality type or something that you're more um, prone to do that. I've always been into that. I don't know why. I've always had that draw to be like, because to me, it's like, it, it, while not being safer you're more apt to not be indoctrinated by view. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. if you believe something that is so counter to what you, your whole group is telling you, well, it seems like, okay, then I, I can at least parse things out for myself as best I can. And not, I mean, we all are influenced by others, but mm. I think we risk indoctrination when we go for the easy answer that our church is always believed or our family always believes. Yeah. And I think we run the risk of, um, you know, not, not coming up with our answers ourselves. not, you know, not thinking about these things all the way through. Mm. I've just always had the propensity to, like, I, I used to ask questions about like Satan when I was a little kid, I'm like, why can't Satan ask for forgiveness? Like, is it just yeah. written in the book that he can't, or, you know, it's predestined that he has to, you know, he has to burn forever in hell and he has to do this job. What if he actually did 
you know, <laughs> you know it's like most questions six seven year olds aren't asking you yeah. know what i mean the good questions that like theologians yeah. go crap <laughs> crap we got to write dissertations yeah. about this you know seriously yeah. yeah just give them a pen and paper and go figure it out man i don't know give them some crayons and you know <laughs> yeah exactly that's funny well, that's, that's interesting because that's the same for me. That's, that's how I'm wired. I've always just gone, oh, I don't know about that. So like, let me go and figure it out or explore it. Um, yeah. But I do know that that's something a lot of people struggle with. And I think when people are going on their journeys of um, unraveling a lot of their faith, deconstructing, you know, the, all these different languages that we put to this process of realizing that certain things we believe aren't necessarily true, um, some kind of like dive headfirst in and go, yeah, can I find some more lies that I'm believing and just change and find different truths to grab onto? And other people are like dragged in, kicking and screaming and freaking out. Um, and it's very hard for me to identify with a second person. I, I, I found it a yeah. lot easier as I've worked with people like that for you know years now. Um, but I am a hundred percent the first person. I am literally like, okay, like what book would terrify me? Give me that. Right. I want to go read yeah. it. You know, I remember reading like Bart Ehrman or whatever and going like holy crap, this is quite, yeah. this is quite terrifying, but not going, yeah. how can I, how can I defend my belief and write this off mm -hmm. rather going, well, okay. Like what's the merit of what he's saying? Where's, where, what is this? Is, is it true? Um, yeah. And I think that's, that's, that's a very, um, it's a very unique perspective. Would you say the other guys on the podcast are similar or are they quite keen to kind of explore their new ideas as well? Well, I think, yeah, I, I don't think either of them were kicking and screaming to where they're at now. I think yeah. both were like me. They're in the first camp. You know, they, you know, they're like me. Like I, I did stuff with like, like Hitchens, like watching debates. Right. With yeah. Hitch, and I, yeah. Like I got to know, I, I'm not really comfortable with the answer maybe, but Hitchens seems to be winning this argument. I'm not an atheist any longer, but I was for some time, but I was just always like, I gotta, I gotta know. I gotta know. I think Jamal's been big time like that. And I think Keith has been too. Yeah. So it's a, it's an interesting dynamic. Like, yeah, That's I don't, so I try to empathize with the people in the second camp. Yeah, I try, but I just, I've never <laughs> experienced that. So it's, you know, it's kind of hard. It's out of my way. You have to be careful not to send them on some sort of existential spiral just by mentioning right. something. <laughs> and sometimes I've, I've gone, you know, I've come so far that I forget where I've been that sometimes yes. I just say something loose and fast. And then I'm like, Oh, I didn't realize I forgot that that in itself was controversial to yes. me. It's just a passing thought, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That's really, really funny. Um, yeah. How is that? How has that um, dynamic affected you? In so you, you said you came from kind of a more evangelical background. Is that is that fair? Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you're familiar with like Left Behind, that kind of reaction. Okay. Nice. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Real nice. <laughs> oh man, I I used to tear through Left Behind. I don't think I ever finished that series, but I think that yeah. I I bailed long before they finished. Uh, but I was yeah, yeah. well into those as a teenager. Like I think they kind of yeah. just came out around that time and. Um, oh, amazing. So that's, that was your background. Very quite, quite fundamental. Like we read in the Bible, like it says there's locusts with lion's head on them. So I guess right. some locusts with lion's head's going to show up. Um, you know, that's quite a, quite a, a, a rigid way of approaching God and spirituality was, was, was yeah. your, um, your tendency to seek out truth, your tendency to go, why can't Satan be forgiven? Was that, yeah. um, was that problematic for you within that, that world? Like, or, or did it take quite a while for it to become problematic? No, it was always problematic. I was terrified. I mean, mm. I, I had like nightmares growing up and, and I just, I didn't want it to be true, but it's one of those things. Like when you believe something and you don't, you don't know when you like formed that belief, like it was just put on you. Like you didn't mm. have an alternative. It's just the way it was. 
And I, I, I was kicking and screaming about that stuff because it didn't make sense. Like, I was like, this cannot be the way, but it is. And I was just like horrified by it. Um, same thing with like homosexuality is a sin. I was just like, that, that makes no sense to me. Like, why? Why? What's the big deal? You know, yeah. but it was just the way it was. Um, the Bible was clear, of course. Um, so, yeah, I, I always had a hard time with all those things, even though it's not even that I believed they were true. They just were true. Mm-hmm. my belief didn't matter though, though that's the worldview it's yeah. not it's not something you you it's not like you weigh some propositions and pick one it's just the way it is yeah so what what what's been your journey from um being within that world to running a podcast uh self-ascribed heretic you know mm. what are some of the landmarks that kind of kept pushing you forward like i'm assuming there's been some um, major moments or was it just kind of like a very gradual, you know, sliding down the slippery slope that everyone warns you about? Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there were milestones. It was no, it, it was not a Damascus road event, but, um, the big one, the big one that really got me away from like what the Bible says is that I could not accept any longer the fact that God was violent. I just, I just couldn't. Yeah. And, and so those were a lot of my big questions that I had for pastors and clergy and friends and things like that. And the answers were never satisfactory for me. Mm. And so that, that was a big one where I finally had to just like, um, Bill Burr has this bit where letting go of his religion is he's like doing the, uh, the bowling thing. And, and it's just, you, you let the, or no curling, he uses curling as an example and okay. you, you're sliding, you're sliding and you finally just, let the thing go and it just like ever so gently just floats away and that's how yeah that's that's how it was for me it's just like i gotta just let this go um so the violence of god the so-called violence of god was a big one for me yeah um how did did you come to navigate that then how did did you come to um i'm assuming you've come to navigate that and and reconcile that on some level the, the the concept that so many Christians have that, that inherently violence is a part of God. It's, it's how we connect to God. It's how we are made right with uh, God. It's very much his way of dealing with uh, the bad guys, whatever we term, right. term that, whether it's, you know, Canaanites or, or, you know, the church down the road that believes a different doctrine. Um, at some sure. point, violence will come into their, uh, their story. Um, that's a really common narrative uh, in, in today's western church uh, as a whole yeah. I, maybe it goes far to say even the global church um that's a very um common narrative so what were kind of some of your 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 stepping stones in, in stepping out of that and where are you now like i'm assuming you found a place of god is not violent yeah i have um renee gerard was a, a huge one for me um sure. just understanding how humans behave how we write our mythologies how we why we create these rituals and and just it's almost that um like we learn what god is not like by learning why we say god is violent so we learn that we're violent which kind of takes it away from god not that we both can't be violent but Rene gerard's mimetic theory helps me understand what god is not like by saying why why do we project violence onto the gods no matter what our faith is. It seems like throughout history, we've always had gods that demand sacrifice, that demand yeah. blood in order, you know, it's quid pro quo. It's, um, 
there was no quid pro quo. No, <laughs> there, you know, so, so why do we do this? Mm. Well, Rene Girard has really illuminated that for me, which is why I've written books on mimetic theory and why so many people have written books on mimetic theory, whether yeah. anthropologists, sociologists, psychologists, archaeologists, theologians, philosophers, and it's, it's become a really handy tool in the, in the tool belt. Um, and it has, it's, it's helped me understand why even the Bible has those violent depictions of God. Um, why there are the sacrificial depictions of God. The beautiful thing is there's a wrestling in the, in the scripture. So now I, now by taking it seriously, I can see why there's a wrestling there. Why, why do we get this kind of narrative and counter narrative interwoven throughout the Bible? You know, you have these, yeah. and we try to piecemeal it together, right? In the church. And you get this like very, very schizophrenic God. That's, you know, it's almost like different personalities and you say, well, no, it's just one personality with different, ways of going I mean, but it just gets wonky you know yeah we do you, i mean to me that that's uh, that's fundamentally uh impossible to avoid if you're going to hold the concept of like this thing was given by god exactly as he wanted it to be said because he wants us to believe it at face value you know we've got that concept of a an inerrant you know whatever right. language you put around the scripture you have to kind of kind of juggle all these different opinions right so you have to make uh whoever the hell's writing you know the words of moses down be exactly the same as what jeremiah is saying when he's saying well i never told moses to do that you know like right. and so they right. go uh crap what do we do with this and you know when you've got translators right. putting in the word just to try and change the language or right. you've got right. all sorts of things at play here because we, we we don't know how to reconcile that multiple people are involved in this story um right. Do you think it's possible, you know, so for me, I, I, I totally agree as far as um, I have a very mythetic understanding of, of reading scripture, seeing the evolution of uh, cultures anthropologically and, and seeing myself in the mirror. Um, mm -hmm. But for me, it was possible for me to embrace that because I was willing to let go of that understanding of the Bible. Do you, do you see a possibility of um, fundamentals that are still gripping that Bible um, is there a possibility for them to let go of, of a violent God? Like, is, is, is that something that can even be done? Like, and this is something I constantly think of because mm. I'm desperately trying to help people step out of that concept of the Bible so they can, you know, you have to let go of that, that concept of the Bible if you're going to be affirming of LGBTQ, you know? You have to let go of that if you're going to go, well, actually, probably God doesn't endorse infanticide and genocide and rape right. and all sorts of other things. Um, you have to let go of that. Like, do you see, or to me, that's my conclusion. Um, and if it is the conclusion, where, how do we even begin breaking down that narrative, that understanding of scripture? Yeah, I, um, that's a great question. I, I would tend to guess that you do have to let go of that to some degree, because to me, it's, um, it's creating something that the Bible itself was never meant to be. Mm. And, 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 and so there's, there's, I don't think there's any value to holding the Bible like that. There, I, there's no value to saying that the scriptures are inerrant or infallible or whatever language we want to put around it. Uh, because that's like, to me, that's like, um, it, it, how do I want to put it? You don't actually, it's like, are you even reading the Bible when you say that? Because if you actually read the Bible, you would see the internal dialogue. So you're going to miss, 
the point of the Bible anyway, and then you mm-hmm. are going to miss the, the, the inspiration of it, I think. Um, how do you get people to let go of idols? I, that's a tough one. Yeah. Because, it, you know, when you put your faith in the Bible, you're really just putting your faith in your theory of inspiration of the Bible or the way you interpret the Bible. See, what people need to understand is that there's no plain reading of the Bible. There is always, unless, unless, some, unless you figure out how to not be a subjective human, yeah. I have not figured that out yet, and I've never met someone who has. You're always going to be interpreting it. So, yeah. um, gosh, I, I think people need to have, people may need to have an existential crisis in order mm-hmm. to, I don't, I don't know. In order to shed that view, yeah. they may need to have some sort of experience where this doesn't stand up anymore. You know, the, the John Pipers of the world who, who to always talk about all these horrible things being for the glory of God. Well, I mean, he's still, someone like him still sticks to like, I think his wife got cancer or someone got cancer. Yeah. And he was still, he was still using that argument. That argument doesn't work for a lot of people. It much closer to home, right? I mean, right, right. Yeah. So some people still stick with that view. Some people when when tragedy does strike, they can't hold on to it any longer. Yeah. I, I'm not saying it should have to happen like that, where it's like this horrible tragedy. Yeah. But that seems to be how it does happen, where it's like, I, I believe that maybe God said to go slaughter the children. And then I, you know, my nephew or niece got slaughtered in some horrific murder. And now I can't reconcile those two, you know, yeah. because now it got real. Now it's yeah. not some abstract text from thousands and thousands of years ago. Now it hit, hit close to home. And when I reread that Bible and it says that, and I'm like, oh, that happened to someone I knew that I loved. Woo. Good yeah. luck. Good luck continuing to hold on to that. I, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. No, it's, it's crazy. It, it blows my mind. It's just, it's, I, I sit and ponder these things for hours every day. I'm just yeah. like, how do you even begin to unravel these things you know because people they don't they're not willing you know i'll just even mention a single thing you know like oh did you know that in this context you know um the writer of this epistle disagrees with the writer of that epistle you know like you can see clearly black and white one of these two is an opinion uh, about god that isn't correct possibly both (laughs) (laughs) but they can't both be true that it's just physically not possible um, and so there is some level of humanity into this. And so you say something like that, yeah. just on one example, gosh, it could be almost anything. Or you just say like, uh, when Paul asked Timothy to go bring his cloak and his, uh, and his books with him when he comes to see him next, because he left them in, you know, Ephesus or whatever. He says, hey, Timothy, can you bring them with me? If, if Paul wrote Timothy, but yeah, that's better to right, say. Right, right. Um, he said, oh, could you bring those with me, uh, with you? Like, I don't, know if that's a mandate from god for us all to go on a pilgrimage to ephesus to pick up paul's coat and books and bring you know it's like obviously there's some humanity in these texts and you say stuff like that and and what's fascinating to me is how often because the way i think just doesn't compute this way but how often people say well if you're saying that's not true or you say that uh, Genesis isn't a literal account of the exact order of how things were made or how long it took or whatever. If you say that's not true, how can we trust any of it? And, you know, there's this, this thing of like, if I'm going to read this as poetry instead of a science book, I have to throw out mm-hmm. Paul's letter or yeah. David's songs right. that he wrote. You know, if, if, right. if I have to say that, well, he probably didn't actually kill Canaanites, actually, best guess, looking at archaeological records and looking at the 
cultures right. and the, the history and everything probably not and people go whoa so if you're saying the narrative in this isn't are you just saying we have to you know it, it's it feels like there's this massive block here as far as helping people even whittle at it you know just touching on it just seems to put all the defenses up you know you know what i mean so yeah yeah it's well and i think it's because people have um you know it's like a, it's like a house of cards and their version of the bible is like one of the base cards and you pull the whole thing out and they're afraid that the the whole thing's going to come tumbling down it's it's our propensity to think dualistically about everything and dualism has its place if you told me how to get to your house and i had to make right and left turns i need to know right and left turns but to to, to paint the entire biblical narrative or our worldview in those starkly yeah. black and white terms i mean why why does why can't why can't it be poetry? Why can't, mm. why can't there be um, a literal truth that you can get from a non-literal reading? Yeah. I think there's more, I get a lot of literal truth from reading Tolkien. I don't need to believe that Middle Earth actually exists in order to get like a, some deep truth from fictional characters. Yeah, no, absolutely. So you mentioned um, just a little bit ago that you were talking about how the Jews didn't approach the scripture like this. And uh, this is something that fascinates me is actually like this, this concept of reading the Bible this way is, is quite a phenomenon as well. Like, you know, if, if you even look at Jews today, they're kind of like, well, what are you doing? And then you look historically at like, you know, Jews in Jesus's time, Second Temple J Judaism, they would be scratching their head at how we approach um, scripture. And so is that something... I, I, let's just try to aside, I guess you go down that bunny trail, but I'm, I'm really interested in what did this look like for you? Cause so for me, this is one of the absolutely, like you said, it's one of the base cards on, on the whole uh, stack, you know, on the, on the house of cards. Um, was that the case for you? And, and how did you start kind of navigating scripture? Cause you have to navigate scripture in order to allow yourself to, to move forward in a lot of these areas. Was that something that you, you found hard? Was it something you found quite easy to do? I, I was never like, even when I had beliefs that the Bible was whatever I said, I was never one that grasped onto it. I was lucky. Like my parents, my mom and my stepdad were not really, we weren't raised fundamentalist though. We, though we went to fundamentalist churches. So there was a little bit of a disconnect there. Okay. You know, my, my mom and dad both were raised Catholic then became Protestant later. Um, my dad was a bit of a hippie or my stepdad. So there was, it wasn't just like it was passed on to him and passed on to me. So there was always an uh, allowing us to be a little more um, kind of creative, a little less rigid, though from our church, it was not. So it's kind of odd that, that we attended such a fundamentalist church. Mm. I never had, I was always asking these questions, you know, like, I thought slavery was bad. Why is it cool that slaves are building the temple and God's never <laughs> like, Hey, by the way, um, probably shouldn't do that. Like, um, well, the, you know, they, you know, you get answers from people, you know, they treated their slaves really well. So that's why. And it's like, hold on back up. They're still slaves. Like that's not, could you imagine using the argument yeah. with black, but yeah. you know, well, you know, these white folks were treating their black slaves really well. And you'd be like, ah, uh, you're racist. Like, <laughs> why is it okay when we use it for the Bible? So I, I was always kind of, you know, uh, asking these questions because I just was like, no, this, this can't be literally true. Like mm. there has to be some sort of human agency involved here in these, in these texts. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, my pastors were not as cool with that. I was more like, yeah, it's gotta be, 
the, 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 you know, the, this is just the way human language works. You don't, you're not going to sit here and tell me that they got every jot and tittle from the Gospels historically accurate because, you know, the, the five seconds of historical research, you're like, that's not the way they did things. This no. isn't modern journalism. These are stories and people make points. They have points to make with these stories. So are we going to fudge the numbers a little bit? Yeah, we will fudge the numbers to make a point because numbers in Judaism, like mm. they have meaning, right? So if I need it, I need it to be 40 or I need it to be seven or I need it to be 12. I'm going to make it 12. Not because literally I, those numbers are there, like because yeah. I need it because it represents something and there's a deeper truth behind there. And mm. I even knew that, you know, being in a fundamentalist church, I was like, no, they're, they're doing something here to get us to think. And there's some sort of reason why they're, there's some sort of reason why this genealogy is different because they're making a point, you know? Yeah. yeah. You can't sit here and tell me that two genealogies. <laughs> I know that, <laughs> you know, I know that got questions is going to piecemeal all this oh, shit man. together, but you know, it's <laughs> like, no, let's just take it what it is. Like they have a point to make. Yeah. No, absolutely. And, and, and I think we missed the point. Like, you know, like right. seven, ten, 10 times, you're going to utterly miss the point when you pick up a poem that's asking the questions, who is God? Why are we here? What's our nature? Can we trust God? Like, you know, these, these big questions. And we pick it up, you know, 21st century, this poem and go, ah, a scientific history book. Interesting. Right. <laughs> Answering the questions of how did God build the, the, the earth and how long did it take and how long ago? All the questions that we're asking, clearly this ancient civilization, before they even were able to pen this stuff down, were asking the same questions, you right. know? Yeah. Um, and so because we've read it in like a totally different narrative, we missed the point, right? And, and I think that happens, that doesn't just happen in that, you know, context of maybe just how old the earth is or something like that, which I think in this day and age, you're going to find more and more, even fundamental Christians going, yeah, I mean, obviously it's not 10,000 years old. You know? right. <laughs> so bit by bit with certain things, you know, you, there's this overwhelm of data. I guess that's maybe one thing that, oh, I say, as I'm saying it out loud, I'm looking at the news and I'm like, I don't know if an overwhelming amount of data will, will be enough for a lot of people. <laughs> but, no, come to, come to the States, oh, man. I, I, no, I lived I, in the States for four years and I, oh, okay. I spend a lot of time over there when I'm traveling and speaking. I know. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's the same here. We, we have our um, fundamental rigidity as well, but I don't yeah. know. It's, it's tough because, yeah, part, my optimist in me, which is pretty small, I, I like to think, you know, oh, this, if there's enough data and enough like information and people kind of evolve enough that they start to value that, they're going to go, well, yeah, okay. But, you know, when Jesus told the parable of like, I don't know, Lazarus, he wasn't actually sh saying this is what heaven and hell will be like, you know, right. um, yeah. that's not what it's about. It's, it's, it's about something deeper, more meaningful. It's not about, you know, is there fire, how far between heaven and hell, you know, can you feel yeah. the heat between, you know? Uh, I just think we yeah. miss so much when we get bogged down in those, um, yeah, those, those, the nitty gritty that probably most of the authors weren't really caring about, you know, they were piece, these aren't, you know, lyric, literary geniuses either, you know, generally speaking, probably for the time. Uh, yeah. But yeah. Well, and, and yeah, it just, it kills the Bible. I mean, what's more likely that, that the writers of Genesis are talking about a scientific truth or that they're arguing against an already existing creation myth. Mm. Oh, and you find out, Oh, there was already a Babylonian myth. Oh, there's a reason for the flood. Oh, it's that word loud and noisy. 
oh, okay, so the Hebrew people actually have a response to that. That's doesn't that seem more likely than mm-hmm. evolution's not true? And you're like, and, and it's also not 13.1 billion years old because see here in the text, like, well, what's more likely though that that mm-hmm. a group of people who were exiled into another land who already must know these these you know the writers and the redactors and editors of genesis must have known enuma elish the babylonian story Mm -hmm. and i think they're probably going no i don't think that's how it went down and they're responding to that and making an argument for god who doesn't you know there's not a violent backstory of gods right destroying each other and spilling blood and all and that's how creation no god speaks and therefore creation happens god breathes on you know it's like Oh, this is much more interesting. This is much more alive. You know, it, it, it would be like, I don't know. I mean, we, when, we, when we are anachronistic and we, we think that it's talking about science, it just becomes a dead book and it just becomes a, a punchline. It becomes a meme. Mm. You know, it's like, it's just, a, it's, it's silly. Yeah. Do you, I mean, I, I think about stuff like this and I, and I wonder, at what level do people need to be educated to engage with the bible on these levels as well though you know like so i think of like you know original heroes of this story you know genesis is such a simple easy example but you know like someone just goes in the beginning and then they go oh i love this story anuma elish yeah great the, we're the gods and the gods were at war with one another battling for you know and it's chaos they bring you know life and like oh yeah i love this story and then it's like in the beginning was God, like just what, what, just that first sentence, you know, you're like, what, what the hell's happening? You've ruined the story, you know, and it's, it's amazing and provocative. And yet we say in the beginning and our only frame of reference is, oh, you're telling Genesis one. I know this story. I know it goes to that. And then it goes, we Adam and Eve and then we get this and then we get some Cain and Abel. And I can tell you right through from that to the revelation, you know, and that's our narrative for it. I just wonder how possible it is for the average person you know, to sit down and engage with, with these texts in this way, you know, when, when it's not their cultural norm to know the, the context. Um, is that something that, you know, you found that I, I imagine as you've educated yourself, you know, I mean, I, I'm assuming you didn't read Enuma Elysian school or, you know, work through the, the Epic of Gilgamesh, you know, or, so I'm assuming at some point you sat down and went, holy crap, there's other creative nar- story, narratives and they're really similar. Like, yeah. and, and it's in that juxtaposition of these two stories that I actually find maybe what the key point is in the, le- the second one. Um, yeah. That's not something the average person probably um, is going to just stumble upon or actively seek out nine times out of 10, I think. And, and I think, again, is there an element of futility in, in seeking the, the scriptures? I, I hear me right on that, especially audience listening into this that are probably thinking, what the f- are these guys talking about you're freaking me out i'm not saying there's a futility in the scriptures but there's a, in a sense almost a futility in the scriptures of um if we don't know the context what the hell are we going to bring out of this you know well there there is and i and i i don't remember where this was years ago i wrote an article about if you want to take the bible seriously you have to read outside the bible because mm. the, the the truth of the matter is these i mean these are the contexts when it's written you know you, if, if the writers of Genesis know the Enema Elish story, and if they're making an argument against how creation really happened, wouldn't you want, if you want to know what the Bible is really saying, shouldn't you know the context that it's arguing against? It's like, hmm. 
you, I, I'm not of the belief that you have to learn Aramaic and Greek and Hebrew. I, I know very little Greek, even less Hebrew and no Aramaic. It's helpful if that's your interest, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, it, it can only help you. But I think you do have to have a basic sense of what, of what's going on in the world. If you want to take the Bible seriously, if what's going on in the world when these things are written, you know, why, why, what, let's go to Jesus when he says, um, God, uh, blesses not just the, the righteous, but he blesses the wicked as well. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. Okay, cool. That sounds great. Why is that important? Because there was a belief and go to Deuteronomy 28 and this transcends the Bible. All, all, all people really believe this. Yeah. God blesses the righteous and, and curses the wicked. God sends rain to the righteous and gives dust to the wicked. Hmm. Oh, okay, cool. Well, why is this important? Well, crops and things like that. Well, why, why would God do that? Well, we're not making sacrifices. Well, what are, and you know, so we got to go outside. Why is sacrifice such a big deal in, in, in the Bible? Why is there so much of this? How do we understand it? Well, you know, how do we understand Abraham and Isaac? Why is that such a big story? Well, it was a test and da da da, and, and, and it's a foreshadowing. And it's like, okay, but isn't it actually like more impactful when you're like, no, sacrificing your first son was just the assumption. That is the norm. End of story. No questions asked. The shocking part of the story is not that Abraham goes to kill Isaac. That yeah. should not shock us. The shocking part of the story is that he doesn't. Because if yeah. we put ourselves in that, in that world, we go, no, you have to kill him. You have to. Yeah. The gods are going to be angry if you don't. I, the fact that he doesn't, and there's some Jewish scholars who say he actually did, and they kind of, you know, mm. but whatever. I mean, they, I'll let the scholars debate. The, <laughs> the, but, but I think the takeaway is that, well, the, we're supposed to get from it is that he doesn't go. His hand has stayed. Like, whoa, yeah. this god is way different than the other gods. Well, how do we know that? Well, we need to understand what's going on in the ancient Near East. We need to understand what's going on in the Bronze Age. Why were these people thinking in the way that they thought? Yeah. You know, um, you, you can use a hundred different examples. When we talk about the logos, in the beginning was the logos. We translate it to word. What does that mean? Well, there's a whole Greek philosophical background. Yeah. Logos is the structure and principle of, rea principle of reality. Heraclitus, hundreds of years before Jesus said, war is king. War is the logos. Strife is the logos. Violence is the logos. That's what structures the world. Well, okay, well, the writer of John's gospel is like, no, in the beginning was the Logos. The Logos was with God. The Logos was God, you know, or as Brad Jersak says, like, uh, the word of God, how's he put it? I'm going to butcher the quote, but it's not a book. It's a person at 18. It grew a beard. You know, it's like, that, we need, <laughs> yeah, it's great. I, I, it's not exactly that, but you know, so we have to have all these contexts, I think, to really understand what's being said. Mm. I, I'm a firm believer of that. I, so, and plus, I, we should be curious, though. Shouldn't <laughs> we be curious? I know it's not the cultural norm, but yeah. damn it, damn it, we need to be more curious about things. You know? Well, I mean, this is the, the primary um, role of what, one of the primary roles of the Holy Spirit, right? Is to lead us into truth. We should be people that are deeply um, driven by being led into truth. And if you are going to have to be led into truth three and a half years after following Jesus day in, day out, it suggests you don't know everything even after hanging out with him for three and a half years, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. I love that aspect of Jesus saying, you know, like, Hey, look, there's some stuff I wish I could have told you, but you're not ready. And yeah. I don't 
necessarily even think that's talking about Peter, John, James. I think that's talking about humanity as a greater consciousness, you know, as a species. Yeah. We're just, it's still 2,000 years prior to where we're at today. You know, they're just not ready for the message on, hey, maybe slavery, not a good idea. Maybe not the let's be nice to our slaves message and maybe just yeah. let's not have slaves. New idea, you know, but you're not ready for that. So, Jesus, at least be good to yourself. <laughs> you know? Right. Um, it's fascinating. So I wonder, do you have thoughts on why? You know, this is this fascinates me so much that I, I kind of understand that, um, you know, the average Joe that's going to work nine days, at uh, nine days, <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> five days a week, nine, you know, nine to five, they've right. got a wife and kids, they've got busy life. They don't have time to sit and do deep historical research and and I'm not even going to begin to like judge anyone for like not having the time. I, this is my job. I have the time to do it. I still don't freaking spend enough time doing it, you know? So I, I get it. And, and yet for, for people that are, you know, educated as pastors, especially those that are educated to become pastors, I think it's another kettle fish when you're just kind of, you grow up into it or something, you're a pastor's kid and you just inherit the seat or whatever nepotism is called a day. Um, yeah, but for those that are educated, they go to a seminary, they go to a Bible college, they go to a university. A lot of them are exposed to this concept, even if they're not actually shown maybe the the, the fallout of that. I, I know a lot of Bible colleges are very like, uh, just teach this stuff, just repeat after me and you'll be fine. Um, but generally speaking, they're at least told, hey, when you study the scripture to give a message on Sunday, look at the culture, just maybe have a glance, you know, yeah. just so you can see if what's the context of this passage. What do you think's holding back um, a good portion of Christianity from doing that? You know, at, at that level, as, as leaders, as, as pastors, why do you think we don't do this more? You know, because I don't hear it when I when I, I grew up in church. I didn't hear that conversation. You know, I might hear an occasional like, "Oh, there's an eye of the needle gate at Jerusalem," which ends up being bullshit anyway, right? So <laughs> occasionally, you'd hear like a, a little thing, but generally this wasn't practiced in, in my kind of circles, it seemed. Do you have thoughts on why that is? Is there an undergirding kind of element behind that, do you think? Oh, man. Yeah, I, I, I also didn't get any of that stuff either. I didn't get those contextual um, nuggets. I, I think because when we add context into it, it, it takes away our level of certainty, and I, and, I, and I think things become a little bit muddy and we have to be okay with that. And most people are not. I, I don't, I know pastors who are, or who are great, who are okay with saying like, I don't know. I don't know what this passage yeah. necessarily means. Um, you know, I, I can give you ideas or, or a parable, especially like, well, this parable means that. It's like, that's not how parables work, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. It can mean a lot of things. We have to draw infinite meaning out of them. That's why they're great teaching tools. Mm. Uh, I, I think when I think, but I think a lot of pastors and teachers and Christians are afraid of losing their sense of certainty. And I think contextualizing it and problematizing texts. And um, I think all those things that, you know, the historical critical method might help with, you know, understand, you know, like, like the Bart Ehrman's, the way they approach historical texts like we would approach hopefully any historical text we 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 end up being agnostic in a lot of ways and i don't mean agnostic in terms of like what we think oh i don't know if there's a god there's not evidence but agnostic or we hold our beliefs loosely and that's really uncomfortable for people 
Mm. You know, we want to grip them because then we have our teddy bear and we feel warm at night. You know, we, we're, we're safe and secure. And holding things loosely, we're afraid that we're going to break them. But, I mean, I, I understand why. Why I, I think that's maybe one, you know, one yeah. aspect of why that happens. And I, I get it. I get it. Yeah. But um, it's just not helpful. And, and to your other point earlier about like, um, yeah, people don't have time for this. They, they really don't. They work their nine to five. They, they do all that. And then I would say, well, then don't, don't feel like you have to be so certain about all these mm. things. Like I, you know, I, I also don't have to time or desire to study um, auto mechanic stuff, but I'm not going to hold like, I'm not going like, to offer to fix my car. No. <laughs> no. And I might be able to, you know, I've got the wisdom to say, take it to a guy, you know, and say it to someone else. Like, I mean, mm. if you don't study any of it and you simply just read the, I mean, I don't mean to sound arrogant, but I mean, pardon me if I don't really necessarily care what your opinion is, just like you wouldn't care what mm. my opinion, my wife does not really care my opinion on how to be an RN. Like yeah. I, I have no advice to give as a social worker. I'll talk to you about it. <laughs> talk to you about yeah. how you feel, <laughs> but I'm not going to tell you how to, well, honey, you, you might want to, um, you know, give the, you, if you want to get an IV and maybe you should consider, you know, like, should people look at me like, <laughs> You might get an IV in the neck doing that. I might. Uh, <laughs> right. It's fascinating because there's a principle. I can't remember what the principle is called, um, but the 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 less educated we are on a matter, the more certain we tend to feel about it. Um, That's kind of like not, Dun is it Dunning Kruger? Is it Dunning Kruger? Like I, I wanted yeah. to say that, and I was like, mm, I'm actually not entirely sure. But and it's not across the board; it works in every area. But it's certainly in a lot of areas, generally speaking, it does feel that. Um, the areas I have been most certain in my life have generally been the areas I haven't looked too closely. You know, it's that duality. Yeah. You know, yeah. duality is really easy when you take a step back. Uh, you know, it, it, but sorry, but when you when you kind of like um, get into the thick of it and you look at it and you're like, mm, actually, this is a bit messy. There's a lot of mixture in the midst of these two choices, and actually, there's a lot of stuff that kind of crosses the bounds of both sides. And I'm not sure about this. And, and you find that the more you educate yourself, the, the less certain you are. Um, and I, I do wonder about stuff like that. And, and I think it's, this is indicative of where we are today, you know, like you talking about, you know, you wouldn't have an opinion on an RN, you know? Um, well, people do, right? I mean, I open my yeah. Facebook and I'm, I'm reading, uh, did you know that I'm friends on Facebook? I'm really selective. I have like about 250 friends, 300 friends. I'm really proud of like, I don't add people on my personal account. Um, uh, and I just, I'm like, no, I want to see my personal friends on this. I don't want to see random people, but nonetheless, did you know, if the 250 people I'm friends with, I would say about 60 of them are qualified epidemiologists going That's by amazing. their posts, right. <laughs> you know, they, they see suddenly know everything and anything about, uh, COVID viruses and SARS and, um, how viruses mutate and, uh, and all these different things. And not only that, they're experts in techno communication. They understand how 5g affects the human body. And, and even though that the scientists haven't yet figured that out fully, um, they know exactly how it, it works and how it like creates some virus, you know, and, and I'm fascinated by it because in the grand scheme of things, um, I don't mean to be offensive. I really don't. Uh, it, it's, it's not an ignorance of being stupid or anything like that, but these people are grandly ignorant of the actual topic. They're not trained experts. They're not doctors. They're not epidemiologists. They're not, you know, um, experts in radio, uh, magnetic radio frequencies or things like that. And I think this is an epidemic um, in and of its own right. And I think we're seeing it more today, but I don't know... 
I don't know if this has always been or not, um, but do you have thoughts on how, how we kind of, um, as a society, start tackling these kind of concepts? Because I don't know, I don't know if people are fully able to engage with that um, off the bat. I don't know if people are fully able to understand I'm not an expert because I read a Facebook post or yeah. <laughs> I read this one article from this one, you know, newsfeed that I only watch or, um, do, do you know what I mean? Cause I feel like this is not just a, it's not just a theological issue. You know, you can oh, see it spiraling wow. out in all kinds of different areas. Um, and there's overlap of course. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. That's a, that's a tough one because it seems like we're getting more to that place. And I, I know social media is great for a lot of things. I think it's kind of exacerbated what's already there. Like, you know, it's just now everyone, um, everyone has a platform to spew nonsense. And, and I don't know what the, what the solution is to that. I, I honestly, for me, everything's just a whittling away. Like you get one person to to become more nuanced in their thinking, yeah. you know, and, and that's what you got to do. It's got to plug away and not the, the masses are not, you know, most people are not going to change quickly. No. And to some degree, that's okay. Now it is dangerous because like you said, everyone's an epidemiologist and all, no one has credentials, you know, um, but they talk the most about it. You know, you mm. don't see my wife who would know way more about it than, and she's not an epidemiologist, but no, no, you you don't see the RNs necessarily posting every five seconds. They're just you know because well, they're busy in the freaking hospital saving busy, lives, yes, right? <laughs> exactly. So it, yeah. it on one hand, like I want I I want to give people grace and where people are at, that's okay. On the other hand, like I I definitely think we need to change how we go about things. I I'm honestly not that interested in talking to the people who already know everything mm. and, and that's yeah. just me like i i guess my so my solution is i've given up no <laughs> no i just i <laughs> i talk to the people who it's obvious that they want to have a conversation yeah. you, know? you, you um, pick your battles right yeah. yeah see i try and do that but i'm really bad at, at draw at figuring out who's who because i think there's this, this fine line where um, there's obvious people that are very open, have an open personality, ask lots of great questions and are obviously seeking an alternate path. But I think there's also, there's, there's the person that presents, there's two people that present very similar to me uh, and they both present quite angry, quite aggressive, very, you know, they've got a list of scriptures. Um, and yet one is genuinely just like, you just poke the hornet's nest and it is going to sting you like crazy till you die. That's, yeah. that's the one person. And that's the kind of person you're like, you're not going to change this guy's opinion. Like, let them be, just be like, oh man, you're right. Well done. Fantastic. I'll see you later. Um, but there's another person that presents similarly, but I think they're in a place of the poking of the hornet's nest is because they they're they're sensitive enough that it's causing them some internal angst and some frustration and actually a little bit of love a little bit of care a little bit of hand holding and you i think these are the people that you bring you know these are the people yeah. that you move forwards like how do you go about trying to figure out where people are at like do you have conversations with people like that or do you kind of go ah just they're not quite there yet either i'm not going to go there yet or is that something yeah. that you you try and engage with because this i think about this a lot of like i just have a I, I don't like talking to people. I'm an introvert. I would rather just sit on yeah. my own and read books. But for whatever reason, I really kind of also want to help people. So I end up thinking yeah. about these things a lot. And yeah, I, I don't go out of my way to like actually talk to people. I, I engage with people on Facebook a little bit. I post things. Um, and I do get into dialogues with people, but not as much as I used to. I just, I, I figured that 
there's like an old adage and I'm not saying I'm the master and the student needs to seek me, but when you've done like, it's one of the reasons like I've written so much and created so many podcasts. It's like, I feel like if people are interested in answering the questions that they're asking, that's why I wrote heretic. One of my books, I picked 10 questions that I heard every day almost Mm. and I answered them. And so it's like, I don't want to always just be like, read my book. But to some degree, I do want to be like, read my book because that's why yeah. I wrote it. So you're, at, you're literally asking the question in almost verbatim, yeah. you know, how, how I presented it in, the, in books. So, mm. And I am an introvert, so it's like I want to read and I want to write and I want to yeah. talk to some people and then go be by myself for a while because it yeah. zaps my energy. It's um, exhausting. It is. It's very you know? exhausting, yeah. And I like talking to people. That's the common misconception about introverts. I like being no, social. No, yeah, me too. I'm very. I've just got a. I haven't filled the gas tank in a while, so it's like it. You know, it's like as an extrovert, you can you get your energy be, from being with people. For me, it zaps yeah. it. I'm not saying it's bad. I just saying that's the way it is. Like I got to go, hang yeah. out in the garden or something. Go plant some plants or whatever I need to do. I hear you, man. I've got a friend, Martin. He like he'll go into fundamental Facebook groups. And be like, hey guys, I'm exploring this idea of like ultimate reconciliation. What do you think? Here's 28 Bible verses to back. And I'm like, Jesus, this guy, but he's like, he's he's extra. He just loves it. He like he just loves the yeah. discussions. He loves having these like intense conversations. And you know what? He sees like some people kind of going, Oh, dude, you got some points here. But I'm like, dude, I, I would be exhausted just yeah. thinking about how I would even frame, you know what I mean? I, I just yeah. I don't want to go there. Um, but that is it was really interesting because I, I see that a lot. I, I see that a lot. People asking the same questions. You can give them a resource and go, look, I, Instagram DM. Like, if yeah. you're expecting this to be better than the hour resource I prepared for you on this one topic that you can just right. listen to, you're delusional. You know, that will right. be better. Just go listen to that. Um, yeah. And it does feel like maybe if they're not willing to, maybe they're not actually genuinely seeking, genuinely asking questions. Yeah. So yeah, you may, you may have a good point. So maybe something yeah, and, and honestly, like, our t- I mean, this is this is not just me. It's not to say like I, my time is not worth it, but all of our time is not worth it because we can only spend, if I spend two hours talking to someone I don't know on Facebook about something they're disagreeing mm-hmm. with me, that's fine if that's how I want to spend my time. But we all, most of us have families. I have a kid. Like I want to see them too. And I already don't get to see them enough, yeah. you know, a little more than we'd like to right now, obviously, but no, I'm yeah. <laughs> but you know, generally speaking, you know, my wife gets home, I'm doing something, you know, we've been homeschooling, then we come transition to this, and then we got something else to do. It's like, you know, and you want to do the same thing. I, I guarantee Mr. Angry Facebook person, Yeah. <laughs> I guarantee you have family too that you want to go hang out with. And, yeah. you know, sometimes it's just like, hey, we only have so much energy. There's studies that show that we can only really get to know a handful of people. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the number is. I forget. But it's not many. Like yeah. we can truly, who we truly have a relationship with. Yeah. So sometimes, yeah, it is. It's back to picking your battles. If that's what you yeah. want to do and you're amped on it, like, like your friend, like if that, if, if you like that, you might help some people. Cause often when we debate, it's not the person we're debating. It's the people watching, right? That's yeah. how it goes. And that's, that's, that's a huge thing I see as well. People commenting saying, Oh, I love the way you talk to that person. It's insane. Yeah. Or, you know, just like that might be worth something here or there, but yeah, yeah, no, I, I, my friend, I honestly, I, I crack up. I just die every time because it'll pop up on my newsfeed every and again. And it's like, this person is posted in this group. And I'm like, oh, I don't yeah. want to look at that group. Just the name of that group is like yeah. triggered about 18 different responses in me and I none know. of them are healthy. 
<laughs> Nine point Calvinist group? No, nah, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, I on earth. Like, you've doubled the amount of points you could find here. <laughs> oh, then that's so funny. So when you, when you guys are looking at like people that you have on your podcast, do you, do you look for people that you actively disagree with here or there? Or are you mostly going, oh, I just love what this guy has to say. I'm really intrigued by that, that component because you, you're talking about how you like to have these kind of disagreements as part of like your concept of heretics. And, you know, mm-hmm. you have the heretic, that we, you know, who, who you're going to have on that has this different position. Is that something that generally you see as it's a different position to yourselves, you know, your group of uh, you, Keith, Jamal, or is it more that you see it as something that's different to um, conventional Christianity as a whole? Does that make sense? Yeah, a, a, a bit of both. Mm-hmm. Um, I would, I, but it, it has to be within like the ethos of the show. Like, I honestly, like, I'd love to get Piper or MacArthur or something like that. I think it'd be fantastic. Dude, I would, would have be, my popcorn for that. Yeah, it'd be great. It'd be, it, that, that would be, uh, we had Richard Rohr and David Bentley Hart and those were some of our biggest numbers, but I think someone like Piper MacArthur would like, I mean, it would be great publicity, <laughs> but yeah. I, I, I don't think that people like that would really want to come on the show, first of all. So we do have to have, but our ethos is to get people like, so we've had like David Bentley Hart, Brad Jerzak, who are Eastern Orthodox, mm. Bart Ehrman, who is, you know, he's, yeah. Bart, he's Bart Ehrman. Um, Richard Rohrs, Nadia. So we have people, you know, so, you know, he's Franciscan, she's Lutheran. We've had, um, you know, activists, musicians, uh, Ken Sru from Thrice, who um, we've had more conservative people. We've had LGBT people. So we kind of, we kind of try to do both. Like people that we tend to disagree with, or, well, I can't even say we because we disagree with each other. Sure. But, but who, who still are cool with the disagreements themselves. Yeah. As much as I'd love to get some hardcore, I'd, Mark Driscoll would be fantastic. Oh my God. I honestly you, don't you give think me they ideas. would, <laughs> I don't think they would appreciate no, that's it. as much. Or, or be able to be able to have the conversation. You know, it's, it's, yeah. it's like, um, do you ever, um, uh, have you ever seen the Rob Bell conversations from when he first released Love Wins? You went on all sorts of like radio broadcasts and news shows and things like that. And in yeah. some of them, they literally would pit them up against some sort of fundamental kind of very, um, yeah. yeah, whatever that position is, very black and white dualistic Christianity. And they put them both up on the table and go, oh, what do you think? What are you thinking? Yeah. And you're looking at Rob and you're just like, this is like, it's like a, a duck talking to a tree. Like, yeah. do, do you know what I mean? Like, we're, we're expecting like this to be a conversation. It's never going to be a conversation. You know, th- no. these are two different languages, and yeah, so it's just it's just not possible. So I guess there is yeah. that kind of you've got to find something in the window. Yeah, I found that that um, it's um, it's almost like quantum questioning. Like you'll be here, and then like a particle, all of a sudden you're here, and that's what I feel like. Like, it, unless you understand where I'm coming from, it's going to be, well, what about this? Well, what about that? Well, what about, and they'll be all over. And so it's, yeah, it's like, you're like in and out of existence, like, a, like an atom. <laughs> no, it's so, so it's like, well, I thought we were just talking about, you know, the, the fact that the Bible doesn't condemn homosexuality. And, and now all of a sudden we're talking about hell and Lazarus. And now all of a sudden we're talking about revelation. And now all of a sudden we're talking about Genesis. Yeah. And like, it's like, hold on. Like, and so I found, I found that to be the case for a lot of people that, that think black and white, like mm. hardcore, this is it. 
Westminster Confession of Faith. That's the end all be all. You know, like when you're hard into that that camp, I there are uh outliers, of course. Mm. Most people, however, like literally can't have a conversation. Yeah. That that yeah. the same conversation we're having. I mean, the people who just quote Bible verses. I, I was having a, a discussion with someone who ended up blocking me on Facebook. Oh, whatever, that's fine. And because she didn't understand that just quoting a Bible verse is not a conversation. Like that's, mm. do you understand? Like if you're talking to me face to face and you were just literally quoting a Bible verse, like that's not how we communicate. She cannot understand. Like you don't, you don't allow conversation on face. I'm like, yes, I do. That is not a conversation. However, yeah. like we can talk about the Bible verse, but you can't just quote it. And like, like you did a mic drop, like that doesn't yeah. work. I, I, you're, you're friends with Michael Harden, aren't you on Facebook? Yeah, he was actually my theological mentor. Oh, awesome. Wonderful. It comes out. It comes out in your writing and stuff. So I, I love Michael. He, he taught me three times a week uh, yeah. for oh, over okay. a year and a half. He taught me Greek. Uh, um, and so like, oh, I mean, love the guy. But I love his Facebook rules. <laughs> they are like yeah. the funniest. But one They're of them really is, funny. if you just quote a Bible passage with no context, you are immediately gone. Just done. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. it's like scorched earth kind of like it's just yeah. like where was oh i thought that guy posted no they aren't even on facebook anymore they're just gone, <laughs> they're um, gone. They don't exist. And, and i'm just like oh man i i so uh it but what's fascinating about it what makes it fascinating because i look at that and i'm like my i'm i'm, I'm a bleeding heart liberal soft gentle giant you know I'm like oh i, I want to have a conversation with you, even if you're just gonna quote i want to try and help you understand it. and i pay all the prices for that terrible life choice um, right. but i look on that and i look at michael singh and i'm like oh that feels really harsh but then you look at the quality of the conversations that happen on his page and i know he posts a lot less about um theology and, and, and spirituality right. these days he did it days gone by but the quality of the conversations used to be so high um that it, it does fascinate me you know it, it really fascinates me how quickly people go i gotta up my game because if i'm just gonna quote a bible verse which we kind of all know what i'm saying but i'm you know just i'm gonna quote you know just that you know it's in, it's immoral for a man to lie with a man <laughs> it's like, well, we all know you're saying i don't like homosexuals i think they're wrong i think they're evil whatever but i can't do that anymore so i've got to post this quote which michael wouldn't even mind if he posts a quote but he's like okay now what have I got to say? I've got to say, well, this is what I think, and this is why I feel like it's valid, and I have to quote it in its context. His rules are like, you have to quote it in context. You have to exegete the text. And, yeah. um, and it's amazing how much more of a conversation, right? It becomes a conversation. Yeah. Um, because if someone did in your presence, just one-on-one, face-to-face, go, here's a Bible verse, and just hit you with it, you would probably go, okay, but what's your point? What were you saying? Why do you read it that way? How do you read it that way? That doesn't really yeah. happen on Facebook, you know? No, it doesn't. It, no, unfortunately, we do so much on social media that we wouldn't do face-to-face, though. Yeah, no, it's, it's true. It's really true. So how, how does that work out? Uh, I'm just intrigued by, um, you've got a fairly strong presence as far as online, uh, you know, you've got these books, you've got all these podcasts and stuff like that. Does that affect how you interact with um, Christians day to day in your own life? Or are you not really in that world anymore? Have you kind of like stepped out of like church evangelicalism, all these different things? Are they, are they things that are part of your life anymore? Or what does your life look like day in, day out, uh, navigating having a faith? Uh, no, I, I don't like, a, um, I'm not a part of a congregation or anything like that. Um, I have like, you know, a small group of friends who all 
though we're in different places, tolerate each other's mm -hmm. views that might be different. You know, it's definitely like-minded in that way. Um, as far as like my faith goes, like I just try to do what I think churches are supposed to be doing. I, I'm trying to work with people who are on the fringes of society. Mm -hmm. um, I try, I run a food program. That's one of my side hustles. It, so we glean food from farmers markets and give it to people. I'm just trying to like do that um, without necessarily, my wife and I have no interest in being a part of like a congregation. Right. Um, we used to attend a UCC and I liked it. Um, but I think we were the youngest by maybe 30 years. So my daughter was like, yeah. uh, this is kind of rough. I mean, they were, I, and I have no problem. And it's not, it's not like I can't hang out with old people. It's just one of those things like, well, I mean, there's, they were great, but at the same time, it's not something I want to do on a weekly basis. Like, mm -hmm. um, I don't really have any of that sort of like church life. I have, I, I have no interest in, in being a part of a congregation necessarily. Yeah. Um, yeah. What was, is, is your wife in a very similar place then theologically and, and spiritually, or is that something? Cause I know for a lot of people, these kind of journeys don't tend to go, uh, hand in hand certainly not initially. Um, and so what was that like for you, you know, uh, in your relationship more close to home with your wife or even maybe with your family might be an interesting facet as well, I guess. That would, yeah, that's the more interesting route. Okay. Uh, my wife and I, like, I've done more of the, like the theological grunt work. She's, you know, she's a professional in the medical field, so it hasn't mm. been, and it hasn't really been like, she's not dug into like Douglas Campbell's 1200 page book on Paul and. You know, um, she's read Rachel Held Evans and she's read a couple of my books and she like she likes Rob Bell and things like that. So that's yeah, it's just not her interest per se. Yeah. Um, to be fair, Campbell could have wrote that easier. I mean, that's a rough book. That's it's tough sledding me. <laughs> I mean, I, I, if I got 5% of what the hell he was I, talking about. I flicked a lot through a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, All right, Campbell, I kind of got you at this point. Can we? Let's yeah, go. just where's the cliff notes? All right. Paul's laying out an argument. That's not really what Paul oh, believed. Man. It was unbelievable. It's, all he had yeah. to say was like, this is basically, Paul's basically Colbert report. Like it's a, it's, it's a diatribe. Oh, all right, cool. I can get down yeah. with that. I want to um, have him on the podcast and just make him kind of summarize deliverance of God for like, yeah. Yeah, just two hours, right? Give me. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, sorry. I don't mean to say it. I just like, no, I, I that book that. is a freaking hilarious. Like, I love, I think he's, I, it's amazing. I mean, it's one of the most foundational shifts yeah. within the church. I think we'll be looking back 50 years from now and going, holy crap, that. Yeah. Uh, JL Martin's uh, uh, yep. Galatians. Galatians. I mean, yeah. th these are probably the cornerstones of what theology will look like in 20, 30 years, if not I, already yeah. starting to be. Um, yeah. But, yeah. So, yeah. but your wife's not into that. It's not her kind of her, her jam. She no. just gets off a hard 12 hour, 15 hour shift of nursing and go, oh, I know. Some Douglas I really, I, lead, I need to dig into some prosopopoeia. Yeah, I need to get on that now. Um, <laughs> Uh, but with our family, it was, uh, you know, it was a little bit, it was rough sledding too, in a different way. Uh, her grandfather was the pastor, longtime pastor at the church we went to. Um, very fundamentalist, very offended that I changed. They took it very personally because um, I was very involved in the church. I did worship. I was on many worship teams because I can at least play decently like four instruments. 
so I was heavily involved in the music there and mm-hmm. uh, Bible studies and, you know, everyone knew me. And then all of a sudden, like, oh, Matt went off, whoo, off the deep end. Um, and it was quite, and, you know, I, I cuss and I have tattoos and I look the way I do. And I'm pretty open about ideas and, like, had no mm-hmm. problem asking them. Um, when I took to Facebook asking questions, it was, it was, it was taken very personally. Yeah. Um, and it was interesting. I had a discussion with my brother about why, and he was like, it was very telling. It was, well, you have questioned who they are as a Mm. person or who we are as a person. And I was thinking, wow, I see how that's taken, but man, we are not our beliefs. We are much more than that. So, but people have identity with their beliefs, which is why it was taken very personally. And like, I, like I've abandoned the family. I've abandoned these crucial tenets of the faith and and i and i've got a axe to grind with them personally and it was like man i really wish that that didn't happen you know what i mean like it was never personal it was about me (laughs) about my existential angst and holy shit like if this isn't true if if i you know if if hell's not a eternal furnace like i've been lied to and what what's what is going on is there a god is there even a god you know like yeah yeah, I, it's, I it's hard help. when you identify so strongly with those beliefs because, you know, you, you, we say like, you know, you're not your beliefs, but I mean, that's kind of the Protestant foundation stone is you kind of are your beliefs, right? right. <laughs> or existentially, yeah. eternally, you are your beliefs because if you don't have the right Definitely. beliefs, you are not. <laughs> yeah, um, but actually, that's probably more annihilationist, isn't it? <laughs> but, right. uh, but, but like it's, it's, we are wrapped up in these beliefs. Everything we are, everything we believe exists, the universe, God, all of it is just so wrapped up in, in this core kind of foundational set of beliefs. And when you start questioning that, it, it does make sense. It makes sense why people get upset and angry and they're yeah. terrified. They're scared. Um, but it doesn't make it more, <laughs> less painful. You know, it still hurts yeah. when people get scared and they do lash out and they do yeah. find ways where they, they can't accept anymore. And, yeah. yeah. And it is. And, and I get like, they are, I'm not saying people are bad people for doing that because I think they are truly like, I think they are truly worried for you because, Oh, absolutely. You know, you know the equation and this person doesn't fit in the equation any longer. You're going to hell, right? They're they're genuinely scared. You're going to hell and you're taking, you know, my daughter, my granddaughter with you. Exactly. That's a terrifying thought. And and we don't want either of you to burn. Um, Yeah, no, it it makes sense. It makes sense. And, And I don't think anyone is inherently, none of their motivations are bad in that they're they're, they're good reasonable motivations but yeah um, it almost becomes a fight yeah. or flight response it's mm. it's very you know it's fear-based it's and not just like they're living in you know they're they're not trying to scare you they're not trying to put fear into you maybe a little bit um <laughs> but they're truly you truly are afraid for you and and angry that you know my daughter is at risk because i'm not raising yeah. her right in the church and all this and we don't teach that being gay is bad. We don't teach that there's a hell that you're going to go to forever. We don't teach that you have to pray the sinner's prayer and magically you get to go to heaven. Like we don't, mm. you know, we don't, we don't do yeah. that. So, yeah. It's, it's interesting that you said, you know, so you, you're quite open and you're quite, you know, reasonably open with where you're at, who you are um, within this church community on some level. Uh, I'm sure you probably stepped on eggshells occasionally, you know, to kind of, you know, be generous and, and loving to the people that weren't ready to hear a lot of things. Um, and yet probably people did probably know on some level, oh, 
yeah, Matthew's a bit. Maybe don't ask too many questions because he'll he'll come out with some corkers. But mm. there was a significant shift by the sound of it when you started to say things online. What, what am I picking up on that correctly? Like so. Yeah, because I started, I was not even on Facebook um, until I started like writing my first book and I got published um, writing articles. Right. And then I started really going like, um, I had a little podcast with a friend. Um, and then I started like, okay, I, if I'm going to do these things, I probably should be on social media because you, know, you got yeah. you kind of have to be in some way, yeah. um, unless you want to just write books for yourself. Um so then it was like, okay, I'm going to ask these questions and openly process what I'm doing. That's going to be kind of part of, part of my thing, what I write about, what I'm, so that's when it, that's when the questions became more pointed rather than, yes. well, you know, at Bible study, I might say, uh, are we sure that like, it's cool to have slaves and why wasn't it really that that's what really happened? And God was okay. I mean, God really did tell them to go slaughter. I mean, are we sure that God told them to slaughter all the animals, all the animals, like in the kids, then it would be like, you know, then it, it goes from like kind of those, are we sure? So like, I got really like, there's no, I mean, you know, it's, it's morally atrocious to do this. How could God mm. do that? So it becomes a little more pointed and then everyone sees it. Um, yeah. So is it maybe more that you were sharing an opinion as opposed to just questioning the opinion right. of, of the right. thing? It was yeah. literally, it wasn't just that this thing was like, huh, is that fair? It was more like, hey, there's another thing that I think is better. Yeah. Um, did you think that's kind of the, the main underlying kind of difference that caused the tension? It's Probably, yeah. Possibilities basically for people to kind of explore. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It became a lot more directed. It became a lot more um, focused. And, you know... You, there is a certain level of anger that when you feel like your whole world is falling apart now in terms of what you believe in. And so you don't know what the hell's going on. There is a, um, it, it, it's not even that you're angry all the time. Cause I, I definitely wouldn't say that, but it comes off as that. Cause you're just yeah. like, and, and sometimes people hear like, like if I cuss and Oh, why are you angry? It's like, well, no, I just talk that way. You might come across that. I'm just like, you know, what the hell is going on with this? Yeah. People be like, oh, he's angry. It's like a little bit, maybe, sometimes. But sometimes it's just really direct and, and yeah. straight to the point. And getting to the point and pointing out, highlighting things. You know, yeah. Kirsten has, I mean, I'm Scottish. So, I mean, you know, yeah. I, I restrain myself at all times and I still swear probably a couple of times in an hour, <laughs> a minute. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it's, it's really interesting that dynamic of i think there's something really uh painful uh to go through that process of asking questions realizing that certain things you've believed for a long time aren't necessarily true you're maybe still trying to figure out what you do believe maybe and then when you do find these different options you go this is so much better you can't help but go guys look right <laughs> you know? yeah and no one's asked this question yet but you're like hey everyone look over here um yeah and, and that's, that's not yeah, sorry. that's what just, happened with me with uh, universalism. When I first heard of universal yeah. reconciliation, I was like, "Guys, oh my god, this is amazing! Isn't this really cool?" And it was like, "Oh, nope!" Not <laughs> Everyone comes all. running at you with a pitchfork. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, I didn't realize this would be so horrible. Yeah, like, like it's almost like I'm advocating like bestiality or something. Like, holy yeah. shit! Like, I did not mean it's the worst I did not, thing you could possibly touch. I could not. Help. Right, I could. I could not have imagined the amount of like, whoa. 
Sorry. My bad. Mm. <laughs> Didn't realize. Yeah, there's so, so, so many dynamics in that. And, and yeah, I feel like most people that are going through that process are quite quickly labeled in a box that we can understand and quickly, probably on as, as best we can, kind of discredit. You know, mm-hmm. say, oh, okay, don't worry about Matthew. He, he's kind of backslidden or he, he, he fell down a slippery slope or he's a heretic or uh, whatever. You know, he's, he's possessed. You know, we could be a whole range of things, right. I'm sure. But, but there is an element of as quickly as possible, how do we give you, how do we put you in a box we understand, but also how do we almost, on some level, it's a dehumanization. It's a scapegoating mechanism, really, isn't it? I mean, it's just yeah. my yeah it's my sister <laughs> it's like yeah, how do we get yeah, you yeah. as a scapegoat that we can all feel good that we can all then kind of feel together and safe and good and look at us we offered up this terrible heretic to god and uh, yeah. how how did you cope with that element of like people uh and maybe i'm i'm over assuming what what happened to you I, I, I i'm probably relying on my own anecdotal kind of experiences and talking with different people but mm-hmm. was there an element of scapegoating that you experienced and and is oh yeah. How, how yeah, you know yeah. Uh, well, that, uh, just from a personal level, right? You can intellectually go, ah, oh, this is a scapegoating mechanism, and yeah. this is natural and anthropologically, this happens to everyone. But you know, <laughs> okay, and yeah, I'm not getting burned at the stake, but it's still shit, right? <laughs> yeah, it, it was tough. It was it was really rocky. Um, I I coped with it the best I could. I I mean, I I you know my my wife and I luckily were like really strong with it with each other. Like we didn't mm. start getting at each other's necks because of it um we uh yeah we just like put our head down and went for it because yeah i i i have the um propensity to intellectualize intellectualize things so i was like i was seeing people who otherwise would not get along like once Mm -hmm. matt was the problem they would get along and they'd come to each other's defenses and it was just like whoa you guys are doing wonders for church unity right (laughs) yeah i'm like wow this this Gerard stuff is really true and I'm seeing it. Um, but then, yeah, you have to, then you get to, you're not just talking about the scapegoating mechanism and mimesis. You're actually seeing it and you have to be playing that role and see the thing about the scapegoat. It's not to say the scapegoat's innocent necessarily. Like I definitely, you know, we all play our part in family dynamics and things that don't go so well, but you definitely see, and, and, but it just becomes one of those things where, it sounds cliche, just like day at a time. Like I just, I, I didn't like necessarily, I didn't, I never got like therapy or counselor. Mm. I talked, I talked to my best. I mean, I guess I technically did talk to my best friend a lot about it. Mike Machuga. Um, that's what our bonfire sessions used to be for five years is wow. we didn't record. We just sat once a week and talked. Um, that was a big coping mechanism for me. Mm. Um, yeah. I, uh, yeah, it's just one of those things you had to put your head down and, and go for it. And, 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 you know, sometimes you were angry and bitter and sad and heartbroken. And, um, you know, it's one of those things you ride through, though, I guess. Yeah. Wow. That sounds, that sounds like quite right. So tell yeah. me, um, tell me some, some stuff about, you know, you've, you've written six books. Like, what, what, have, what, have you, what have you kind of written? Where can people kind of like in, engage with your, your works? Uh, the work specifically, if you go to allsetfree.com, that's my website. Uh, it's the title of my first book that I published with Whippenstock. Um, it was uh, as scholarly and from the blood of Abel. Those two books are as scholarly as I ever want to go. 
Okay. Um, <laughs> so it's it's more theological. Like the all set free, I I was putting forth a defense for universal reconciliation. Okay. I, I'm totally an unabashed universalist. Um, Thomas Talbot was one of my biggest uh, like heroes ever. Um, so that's that's the name of the site. That's the name of my first book. That's where you can get all my books. I got a bunch of essays. Um, I'm doing a blog thing right now where I'm going through the lectionary, the revised common lectionary, and I'm commenting um, on each gospel passage. So okay. I do that there. Got a store. I sell T-shirts and stuff, and that's where you can link to the podcast as well. Here Dude, you've got merch. Nice. I've got merch, man. We got swag. That's that's yeah. next level. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it's one of those things like. It, unless you're paying for advertisements, it's no. Um, yeah, I, I hear you. That's, that's, that's what, <laughs> I mean, even sharing like even sharing podcast links, Facebook does not like you going to external links unless you no. pay for advertisement. And so, yeah. you know, I've sold a up. handful of things. Yeah, but no, yeah, it's fun. I'm do, it. I'm doing I'm doing a ton of shit as much as I can. I just like I like creating content. I think we as human beings are creative. We're meant to be creative. We're meant to create something. That's awesome. And so yeah, I've got a lot of stuff I've created on my website and. I'm mainly on Facebook and Instagram and all that stuff. Okay, cool. People can find you on there, and, and you're not going to chat to them, all right? <laughs> no, I don't. I don't want to talk to people. But they can check no, you out. So, yeah, yeah. Facebook. I'll, I'll, chat, I'll chat with people. Um, Facebook you know. and Instagram. What, what are your handles? I'll, I mean, I'll I'll put them in the show notes as well. But oh crap! I don't know. What are my hand- <laughs> I'll 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 hunt them out and I'll put them in the show notes. What so are my handles? This, check out the show notes. <laughs> It's uh, what do this, I go this is by? setting expectation of uh, <laughs> Matthew, of J. Disto- Matthew J. DiStefano on Instagram, awesome, Fantastic. and Facebook. Oh, there you go. So you're unified as well, okay? Yes, I'm in the unified field, okay? I, I'm writing that down. Um, awesome. What, what's next for you? What, what do you got? What do you got in the works? Cause you know, you've written all these books, you've got your, your podcast, you, you, you launched a new podcast. So you've got another podcast as well. I don't know if it's that new. It's probably about a year old now. Is it your, um, your, yeah. The uh, bonfire sessions. Bonfire is a sessions. Year, yeah. It's a year old, super unscripted. It's like literally just a conversation. Heretic happy hours, more of a early morning radio show. It's kind okay. of sticky. We got sound bites yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Nice. Bonfire sessions is, is, way more laid back um yeah i don't know we, uh the booklets are coming out well one just came out on 420 um nice. and we're we're just yeah we're, we're very childish it's 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 all about uh about uh god uh in nature right and uh, yeah it's yeah yeah ecology permaculture um <laughs> That was and that then, was your bonfire sessions booklet, right? To clarify for people. Yes, yes, the bonfire <laughs> sessions. It's the subtitle is spring. Before people so are yeah. rushing to Amazon in disappointment. Yes, yeah. Sorry to sorry to disappoint. You. <laughs> um, yeah, spring and summer comes out in July, October in uh, is the autumn session. We we're doing four next year in twenty twenty one. We'll do a whole box set and all that. So we're working on that right now. So what, um, what are these it. booklets capturing? What what are you, is this capturing some of the conversations that you've had on the podcast and, and some elements from it or? Yeah, it's uh, as close to like a transcript as you could get with it while it, while making it still readable, you know? Okay. So it's, it's edited a bit um, just be, for, because of the nature of a book, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, um, but it's as close to unscripted and just having a conversation. He's more of a Buddhist. Uh, type thinker alan watts okay. and all those guys and nice so. okay oh man i have him back on the podcast then alan watts 
well, not Alan Watt, probably, but he died. He died. Really. I know, Sorry. dude. That's, that's going next level Buddhist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah Where's his next incarnation? We'll just have him. Yeah, on. yeah. Um, you gotta go find. You gotta go seek him out. Yeah. No, it's, it sounds like is it Michael, your your co-host. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It sounds like he'd be a great person to have on. Yeah, I, yeah. Because I, I, I love. I mean, I, I was talking with who was I talking with? Andre, I think a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, um, yeah. we were talking about like being present. We we're talking about prayer and contemplation. And I was like, it's fascinating to me. We don't spend more time exploring Eastern mysticism. You know, like yeah. it, it, these these are the guys that have this part of spirituality down. You know, what I mean, if, oh, totally. if, if I'm going to ask like someone about like, oh, I'd really like to know how to be present. I'm not going to go to a Christian. I'm sorry. I'm going to go <laughs> right. to a, a tradition that spent like, you know, three, four or five thousand years figuring out how to be present. Like right. I'm going to figure it that someone in that tradition is going to have more to say about this more likely yeah. than not. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, kind no, of that I, thing. I'm a big fan yeah. of that. So, yeah, that's cool. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. I've also Dude. got I'm really excited about uh, I've got like um, I don't even know what to call it. It's, it's called the Genesis of Violence. I'm working with an artist um, who's like drawing. I like interpreted the book of Genesis through a, a sacrifice, like talking about sacrifice and all that. And he's oh, doing nice. artwork for it. So it's going to be pretty dope. Uh, it's it's going like to be like a color. Like kid's book kind of style. Super violent. Cane, bloody though. Like smashing in Abel's oh, head. Yeah. Dude, it's going to be gnarly because I've, I've seen he's, he hasn't done color yet where he's done with the, all the all the outlines. You bet have some, a lot of red. <laughs> Dude, it's it's so cool. Like some of them would make great tattoos, but it's brutal. And then you yeah. realize, wow, Book of Genesis is really violent. Holy shit! Yeah. yeah. Well, the, it's amazing to me. It always it always fascinates me because obviously you, you sit down with a kid. Uh, I don't have kids, but I love doing this with other people's kids. <laughs> they got like a, a kid's <laughs> Bible or whatever with the pictures. Yeah. And I'm always fascinated because like, kids don't go, oh, let's turn to like Job or let's jump into like you know, Song of Solomon, two really inappropriate passages for, I mean, right. I guess the whole thing's inappropriate for kids. Um, oh. But like, you know, they, they open it in the beginning every time, right? A kid wants to start at the beginning and work their way through a book. That's how kids yeah. want to like, you know, it's how humans read a book. You know, we've been trying yeah. to train for that. So that every time the kids are opening at Genesis and I'm like, dude, this is starts out okay, but yeah. very quickly transcends PG-13, right? Very quickly right. this gets really sketchy and it's really yeah. fascinating to see what they skip over you know I, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm really intrigued by stuff like that so i love i love the idea of like what was the project it it was um it was a project where they like basically created the whole bible out of, it was lego bible project was it i think they created uh, the whole bible uh, okay. out of lego and so you could put in any bible passage and it would take you to like a a scene that they made out of lego people and i yeah. mean those people were covered in ketchup 20 <laughs> percent of the time you know oh, yeah um, but it, but it, it's amazing you open genesis and you go oh my gosh like we, we forget where we've come from you know i think we forget yeah. that this whole thing didn't it didn't appear in a vacuum you know it appears right. in a serious like mess a really yeah. big mess it's the abraham thing of like they're not shocked that god asked abraham to kill his son they're shocked right. that abraham didn't at the end right? right that culture even when the ram showed up would be like well oh he wants me to sacrifice the lamb as well maybe you know like, right, right. just not, in case <laughs> yeah i mean I, maybe just in case my son is enough but we're definitely right. doing the son right you know it's <laughs> yeah. just like we forget this is the culture we're talking about in genesis and, uh, so i think i think stuff like that is is really powerful I think it's really, oh. really powerful at telling that narrative, at highlighting the the violence and the brutality. Uh, yeah. I know a lot of people hated that Noah movie. Do you remember that? 
Um, yeah. Everyone got, oh man, people lost their show for that, didn't they? Like, yeah. he's got rock people, you know, he's grabbed yeah. bits. But a lot of it was from like Epic of Gilgash. It was it, like, from it, different historical. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I remember people getting myths. like, oh, that was, yeah, he's like, Dad, this isn't real. That, how could it? And I was like, have you read Enoch? Yeah. I was Blended like, a lot of different yeah. myths in there. But yeah. what's fascinating about it, I thought, I thought the author, the, the creators of that did really well at grabbing a hold of like what the point of Noah is for that original audience, which is this is a really messed up world. It's brutal. Yeah. It's violent. Brutal. It's, it's horrific. And here's yeah. a bastion of hope, a, 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 a man in this like entire world that, that is forging a different way. He lives off the land. He's not, you know, living off of this violent, uh, punitive concept. He's, he's, he's just loving God and, and following him in creativity and in goodness. And yeah. um, he is a part of the, the evils of empire building and scapegoating and, you know, all these terrible evils agriculture and whatever else which yeah. <laughs> that was the point of genesis right it was very anti-agricultural right. yeah. um so yeah that's no, it's really cool I, i'm definitely gonna keep an eye out for that because i uh i want to check that out for sure cool you got, you got yeah. big competition though because i mean the lego lego is yeah i'm gonna have to pretty, check pretty that good. out it's funny man you, yeah. you'll like it you'll like it but dude yeah. thanks so much for coming on it was really yeah, thanks for having chatting, me getting to know you a bit um love to have you again at some point as well uh, yeah but yeah that's been really fun oh, man good to get to know you I'm, I'm sure we'll keep in touch as well i'll yeah yeah let's do that cool appreciate it and i'll let you know when it when it drops as well yeah, yeah. that'd be awesome awesome well love you man i'll catch cool. you later yeah you too peace peace all right, that was Matthew DeSifiano. I hope you enjoyed that. I do encourage you to check out his website, All Set Free, to check out some of those podcasts, the Bonfire Sessions, the um, Happy Heretic Hour. Um, and yeah, if you want to check out more interviews, uh, watch them. You can watch them over on YouTube. They're released a couple weeks after uh, they, they come out here on the podcast. Um, you can watch them uh, straight away when they come out on the podcast over at thegracecourse.com. Um, and over on thegracecourse.com, there's loads of other free content, great teaching on a whole host of different uh, topics as well. Um, and you can support what I'm doing, uh, putting out this free stuff um, for everyone to enjoy. Um, it it isn't free to make. I still got to pay my bills. I've still got to feed my family. I've still got to, um, you know, dedicate. I, I do about 70, 80 hours a week. Um, I, I spend pastoring people and engaging with people and helping people in their journeys of deconstructing. And so if you want to support me in that, I would really appreciate it. You can do that over at thegracecourse.com, just giving a small um, gift of $5 or more a month. Um, it just makes a huge difference, helps me pay the bills. Um, we don't live off much, but every little does make a big difference. Um, and so thank you if that's something you'd like to do. There's never any pressure to, of course, though. Um, and lastly, check out the Deconstruction Network as well. If you're deconstructing, if you're feeling very alone, if you want to try and um, find some other people in your area, there's over a thousand people on that website now um, from all over the world. And so the chances of you finding people that are on this journey um, in your area are getting more and more by the day. And so do check out the deconstruction deconstructionnetwork.com. And over there as well, we're performing different um, areas of research and study into the area of Christians that are deconstructing. We want to try and develop more detailed, accurate information about what this group is like. Who are these people? How do they think? How do they feel? Um, how do they act? Um, so that we can start um, changing the narrative of what it is to be a deconstructing Christian. A lot of the narrative is very negative, um, especially from the perspective of Christians. And so um, to be able to change that narrative is, is a, 
um, a great opportunity. And so if you want to get involved in that research as well, just head over to the deconstructionnetwork.com. All right, that's all for now. I'll see you on the next episode um, later in the week. All right, catch you later.